Hi, I'm Adam Robert Lewis, and you're listening to the Brewing Actors Podcast. My chance to talk to actors to hear their stories, what inspired their performances, and what decisions or relationships influence their work. On today's episode. That's what I was most fascinated by. It's like, why can't I take my eyes off Al Pacino? Why is it? What is it? Why am I so compelled to watch? What is that quality? And, you know, that quality really is presence, is charisma. And presence, well, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is presence? So presence is someone who has presence has the power or ability to bring others into the present. What's the first precondition of bringing others into the present? You have to be present. What does it mean to be present? It means to come out of the mind, to come out of the daydreams of the past and the future, and connect with what's in front of you. Connect with reality, which really means in simple terms, connect with the senses, because the senses only operate in the present moment. So I give the actors simple meditation exercises and give them simple practices just to connect with the present during their daily life. And this brings them more into the present and therefore they develop presence. My guest today is John Osborne Hughes. John began his career as an actor, training at the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts in London. Following his training, John then went on to do a further two years as a stage director with teacher Sam Cogan in association with the Moscow Institute of Theatre Arts. Through John's thirst for a deeper understanding of the laws of acting and grounded by his background in the system of Stanislavski, he began an in-depth study of the laws of psychology and human zoology and endeavoured to explore their application within the context of the art of acting. The system that evolved was then further enriched by the study of mythology and philosophy. This proved to be the master key in helping the actor to develop charisma and stage presence, and it was at this point that the spiritual psychology of acting was born. John has taught extensively in London, Berlin, New York and Los Angeles, as well as presenting courses online to theatre and film professionals from all over the world. John's technique begins with the assumption that to build a character, you must first fully understand yourself. John's approach to acting is considered by many to be the cutting edge of actor training available in the world today. So, like any story, we have to start at the very beginning. I think that my very first ever experience of acting, Mm -hmm. as I understand it now, was when I was about nine or ten years old in the sports fields of Llanedin Junior School in Cardiff. We used to watch the, um, we'd always used to, we'd watch stuff on the telly, like Doctor Who and stuff like that, and over over the weekend. Then on Monday, what we used to do in the breaks was we'd play around, we'd act it out. And we'd seen over the weekend, they'd shown the Planet of the Apes. And we did the bit at the end where uh, he breaks down when he sees the Statue of Liberty and he breaks down and he despairs. And someone went, John, you do that. And I'd seen it the night before and I just went for it. I just did that. I can't remember what he, he says. No, no. It's like, it's just despair. And I remember finishing it and looking up at my friends and they looked quite shocked. Like, all right, you weren't supposed to go for it that much. You know, you totally immersed it. And I think that's my first real experience of acting. But as a child, I moved around quite a lot. So, you know, I was one minute, I was um, uh, an English boy in an English school. Then I was an English boy in a Welsh school. And what was then that I was like? A Welsh... Well, you, you have to fit in, you know, you have to learn because you're brought into a new school group where they already know each other. They've already formed relationships and you're the new boy. And often, you know, you're different. You speak different and you'd somehow you'd have to belong. You'd have to sort of break in. You'd have to become one of them very often. So in a way that was, you know, learning some acting skills just out of the necessity to survive, just to fit in at school. 
Um, yeah, so I think they're my first experience of acting, but my first sort of, I suppose, experience in a drama class was um, we, we had drama when I was about 14. It was the first time we'd had drama in the school. It was a CSE drama. I'm giving my age away here. Was this still um, in Cardiff? Were you still in Cardiff at this point? No, I moved to Portsmouth when I was 14. And then what, what happened? We, we, we had English. They suddenly said, right, one lesson a week of English is going to be drama. So we had a new drama studio and a new drama teacher, Mr. Katner, who, you know, uh, wore one of those, you know, theatrical uh, neckerchief kind of things. And he, 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 was, uh, he was quite theatrical. But he, he was the one who really inspired me. And he did an exercise where one of the things we did was he would get, just get a block, you know, you'd sit on and he'd, you'd sit on the block. And then someone, if they got an impulse, would get up and say, um, oh, hello, Mr. Jones, how would you like your hair cut today? And they'd start an improvisation there. They were in the hairdressers. Then if someone else got an impulse to join in the improvisation, and then the whole thing would just evolve. And I, I'd sat there for a few weeks just watching, you know, watching what was going on. And then after about three weeks, we would do this exercise. I suddenly had what I, I know now to be an impulse. And they, the, the, it turned into a bank situation. So they were, you know, uh, hello, Mr. Evans, can I, <laughs> uh, how can I serve you today? And it turned into a bank and there's a few customers in the bank. And then this impulse came over me. And I suddenly found that I jumped up. I said, right, get down on the fucking floor. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they did. And this is a robbery. And it's something I'd seen on the telly, you know, it was something I'd seen on the TV and I just reenacted it. And the excitement, the buzz of this energy coming in. And I think now looking back, you know, having done what I've done with the, the spiritual psychology of acting, et cetera, is really looking for that, is looking for that raw um, impulse, that inspiration which I've understood now, you know, actors get it you know, fleetingly, it comes and goes, but real technique is when you know how to create that at will. So one of the principles of the, the, the system of Stanislavski, which is, you know, very much the work I do is based in that, is really it's an evolution of that. Um, the main premise of his system was through conscious technique, we pave the way to subconscious creativity. So he understood what every actor wants is the subconscious creativity. He called it uh, being on the threshold of the subconscious, where the mind is just spontaneously thinking characters' thoughts. You put yourself in the context in the same way as, you know, I'm just spontaneously thinking John thoughts and you're just spontaneously thinking Adam thoughts. They come from the context of our whole life. So that was his principle through conscious technique. We paved the way to subconscious creativity. So the first part is the conscious technique is the getting the, 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 the right thoughts behind, you know, the, behind what you're saying, what the meaning of it is, what the mental pictures are and what the, you know, the feelings are behind that. But then for it to turn into acting, you have to then let go and let it happen and get out of the way. When you say about the acting impulse and the ability to play essentially, um, obviously talking from my own experience, um, I think I had that ability when I was younger a lot more. You know, I would play doctors or villains and I would even kind of give on occasion my very good Captain Hook. Um, and as you mature, that ability seems to dwindle a little bit. Um, is it something that always stayed with you or did you have to kind of... Nurture it. Yes. Well, I haven't had it. I, you know, I didn't have it consistently after that. I had to find out to sort of, you know, make it consistent and then train other people to make it, um, to make it consistent. But it, it's, uh, you know, what, one of the things about acting is, is that acting is inevitably become going to be boring. If you do it every night, if you're in a night, well, you'll know if you're in a nine month run of a show and you're doing the same thing every night, you know, Wednesday afternoon, it's a it's all the kids come in and, uh, it's just the same old, same old. Inevitably, it becomes boring. And so one of the challenges of an actor is to be able to maintain a state of inspiration. 
And luckily, there is, you know, that there is a psychological process of how you put yourself into a state of inspiration, whether it be to go on stage or anything. And a lot of that is just positive anticipation. So you have to wake up in the morning, you know, during the run and, and have the thought tonight when I go on stage, I'm going to come into the present, let go and enjoy it. And have that purpose and have it building all the way through the day and have that thought and then start bringing in characters thoughts as the day is going on with with some increase during the day. Then by the time you're there at the theatre and you're standing in the wings ready to go on, you've got the gift of the wings of Apollo, um, the inspiration to take you on. But without that, it just becomes flat and boring. So when you got up to do the... Well, when you changed the dynamic of that scene in the classroom with the robbery, I'm guessing that was your first kind of taste of a performance, you know, with a class stunned. You can feel it that there's a like a silence, like a, that everybody's attention, no one's fiddling about, everybody's there, they're compelled. It draws you in. You can see that there's 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 more going on than just what's at the surface. There's a whole life for that character. And if the actor's done their job, you can see that shining through. Did you feel that the experience and the effect that you had on the class, did it give you a kind of ambition to pursue acting as a career? Not at that time, no. Then I was only 14 and he then suggested that I join the drama group, which was quite a big deal for me because I used to play football at lunchtimes and the drama group was was at lunchtimes. And I'd been into football, you know, since I was about five uh, having a family from Liverpool, you couldn't really not be. And so I had to make the choice. Is it, am I going to do, and I was in the school football team, but am I going to play football or am I going to go to drama? And I ended up going to drama and doing drama club workshops, you know, d- during the lunch times and then after school. And then they announced that they were starting this, this course the next year it was the first time they're having a CSE course. And so I was one of eight students in my year that took the drama option and it's the best decision I ever made. I mean, with you know, just the relationship we had with our teacher was very different than any relationship other students in any other classes had with their teacher being a drama teacher. He was really honest with us. He was really open. We did a whole variety of different things. I think, you know, he'd, he'd done his teacher training and had a degree in drama. And um, then, in the, then I got the lead part in the school show which was um, a modern adaptation of the Faust legend. So it's like for schools, it's called Faust and Furious. And I played John Faust and I had to basically, he goes through and he breaks all of the seven deadly things, one, one after the other and ends up in hell, which is the factory he was working in at the beginning of the play. It was a nice, it was a nice little play. And that gave me, you know, experience of playing a lead part and you know, hold you know, holding the show together and quick changes and and all that kind of thing. And then by the time I, I then then he stopped me in class one day, and said actually said that we were doing a radio exercise, and he said and I was quite embarrassed when he said it, but he said that you you have the you know capacity to to do this professionally, uh, if it's what you should want. And up to then, you know, it was either football or join the army or something like that I'd been thinking because I hadn't really didn't really have a plan and then he suggested there's a course that after I did the CSE and I got I got you know the grade one and and all of that in that and then he's then they pointed me towards the what's called the Hampshire County Specialist Speech and Drama course which at the time was at Highbury College in Portsmouth and it was a two-year foundation course in just that. It's, you know, speech and drama. So we did all the sort of the Lambda exams and then all, all different. It was, a full, it was a full-time course. And then at the end of that, I went to see the tutor in the second year and everyone else was auditioning for drama school. And I was like, should I be auditioning for drama school? And he said, if I was you, I'd wait a year and go and get some work experience that drama schools like that. So I did an audition whilst I was in my second year at this college. I was around sort of 18, 19 at the time. So I took a year off and just did a whole bunch of different jobs, you know, care assistant, labourer, cleaner, uh, worked in a nursery, did all these sort of different jobs. And you've got a feel of what, what I was told was go and get a feel of the real world and get a proper job. Um, and then I auditioned for drama school that year. Did you have a drama school in mind? 
oh yeah alra i didn't want to go anywhere else but alra right i auditioned i, I got a recall at central and they asked me to come back the next year and they said i was too young but please come back next year there's a good chance we'll offer you a place and then I got offered a place at Weber Douglas, and I didn't take that. Right. And um, I got an, offered an audition, uh, recalls at other places, but didn't take them. And I just was determined to go to Alra simply because they it was live and recorded arts, and they had a sort of big TV and radio department more than other schools right. at the time. I think at a lot of other schools mm. have got that now. Yeah. But back in the late 80s, they were kind of ahead of the game, really, uh, with that. And so I had a wonderful three years at Alra. Uh, played all sorts of different parts. Um, and that's where I met Sam Cogan, who was my tutor at Alra. He was uh, my acting tutor in the first year. And then he he got sacked at the end of the first year. There was a sort of tendency of anyone, if any of the tutors got a bit too popular, they tended to get the chop. Um, he, he was very divided, actually. There were some people really into him and some people really not into him at all. Uh, um, but I... It, for me, it was the first time that I'd heard someone explain the subtle language of psychology, of people's purposes and actions and thoughts. And I'd always known, you know, I'd always known, you know, that person saying yes when really they mean no, or they're just they're just doing that to be liked you know that smile is fake or whatever but he had language which obviously had evolved through the Stanislavski system and the sort of you know the Moscow Institute of Theatre Art training that he'd had and that really captivated me it's like there is a there is a language of acting there's there's um there's a systematic approach to this but what I found with my training, so I trained with him at Alra and then I did sort of weekend courses. So I was doing like seven days a week of drama training. Um, and then he started the directing course. So after the third year of Alra, I went straight into his two year directing course. And uh, that's where I, I did sort of teacher training and learned to direct. And I was told there that, uh, oh, now you've made a sort of transit. And I didn't direct, I didn't learn directing because I wanted to be a director. I was just fascinated with the whole thing. I just wanted to learn more about the whole art of the theatre, you know. Uh, but I kept, became pretty obsessed with um, just, I wanted to understand the psychology of it all, really. What, you know, what makes people tick? Why do they do the things they do? Um, but I left that school feeling a bit of a void, a bit of a... Um, I suppose a spiritual void, if anything. We'd been taught very much how to sort of analyse ourselves to death, you know, an, an analysis paralysis that kind of killed our spontaneity. So I feel it felt like when I left there um, that I needed a bit, bit of rehabilitation. Right. You always knew at drama school, I didn't, actually, there wasn't enough time when I was there. I only did a one-year course, but people on the three-year course... You know, they were being told that they are going to break you down and build you back up. And uh, did you experience that at your drama school? Uh, Some of it was like you were terrorised. I mean, he was like, you know, there was a lot of shaming. You'd feel ashamed of your unconscious desires and this this kind of thing. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of, there was a lot of, there was a judgment. And that didn't help because it kills spontaneity. You know, if the actors are, I always think oh, oh, awareness is self-consciousness without criticism and self-consciousness is awareness with criticism. And awareness is the ability to watch your own thoughts. So it's really healthy for an actor to be able to watch their own thoughts because at the end of the day, you're dealing with the thoughts of the character. If you don't understand your own, you're not going to understand the characters. But if it all just becomes about all of that, uh, what I noticed was a lot of people became sort of paralysed by it. And and the proof, for me, the proof was in the pudding because I began to see the quality of the acting and it just wasn't cutting it. It was just far too cerebral. The actors were tied in knots, you know? And I always felt like, well, the purpose of an acting system is to liberate the actor, not to, not to tie them down. And I felt very tied down by it. And I thought that there's something missing here. You know, there's, there's something missing. And then um, I was on the tube one day and I saw a, a sign, uh, a, an advert on the tube advertising a philosophy course. 
at the School of Philosophy and Economic Science in London. And it was like a 12 evening course, an introduction to philosophy. I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And I thought it was going to be the history of Western philosophy, you know, like Kant and Nietzsche and all this kind of thing. And fortunately, it turned out that it wasn't that. Um, it was more, I suppose it was spiritual philosophy, um, and it was very much influenced by a system of knowledge from India. Well, it's not actually Indian, but it, it arose in India at a certain time. It's a universal knowledge. It's called Advaita Vedanta, which is Sanskrit, which uh, Vedanta means knowledge, and Advaita means not to. So it's the knowledge of the not to. So the knowledge of the one self, the one consciousness, which manifests itself as me, you and everything else. Some people call that God. Some people call that the Atman. Some people call that the great spirit. Uh, you can call it what you like, but it, it's, you know, it's essentially the consciousness that shines, that, that is the cause of everything and shines through everything. Have you always had a thirst for knowledge? You know, because I think the only thing I was really interested in when I left drama school, was getting a job. But listening to you, you seem to have wanted to continue your training and understand acting on a far deeper level, I think. Absolutely. I wasn't satisfied. You know, Alra was great. We did lots of experience. We had some good directors and some not so good directors. We had some interesting classes and some not so interesting classes. But overall, it was good. But there was no clear philosophy we never sat down and went so what's the purpose of theater art why are we doing this what is the service that we can offer to the audience why do people go to the theater um what's the purpose of an actor uh what is it that stops an actor from doing a good job do you see what i mean what what are you know what what are the laws of acting what are the principles of acting um and sam was the first person i ever met that actually did that um and so I suppose what's evolved uh, in what I now call the spiritual psychology of acting, which isn't a, a name I, you know, I just one day someone asked, I was teaching in America. And they said, what is this that you're teaching? What's this, this, this new thing called? And just the words came out. This is the spiritual psychology of acting. And I thought, what are you saying? But it's like, well, actually, that describes what it is. You know, I would run a mile. If I, when I came out of drama school, if I'd have seen the thing saying the spiritual psychology of acting, I'd have laughed at it. You know, I'd have thought, what the hell is that? That just sounds like quackery. But it is a description of, of what it is. And the spiritual part, really, is all about presence and charisma. Mm-hmm. Charisma is one of those words that seems to be linked with elements of great acting, along with presence and gravitas. And uh, they're, they're almost kind of like mythical words now. And even at drama school, they sort of say, you know, they say you can't learn it and you can't buy it. You know, you're either born with it or you're not. And we're going to, yeah, but we're still going to charge you 25,000 <laughs> yeah, for something yeah. that you thought, apparently. Yeah. Do you, um, do you agree with that? Absolutely not. I mean, I, that's what I was most fascinated by. It's like, why can't I take my eyes off Al Pacino? Why is it? What is it? Why am I so compelled to watch? What is that quality? And, you know, that quality really is presence, is charisma. And presence, well, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is presence? So presence is someone who has presence has the power or ability to bring others into the present. What's the first precondition of bringing others into the present? You have to be present. What does it mean to be present? It means to come out of the mind, to come out of the daydreams of the past and the future and connect with what's in front of you. Connect with reality, which really means in simple terms, connect with the senses because the senses only operate in the present moment. So I give the actors simple meditation exercises and give them simple practices just to connect with the present during their daily life. And this brings them more into the present, and therefore they develop presence. Charisma seems to be that the actors lit up from within. So I use an analogy with the students in the introduction. I say to them, that imagine everybody's a lampshade, and they're all different. They're all unique. They've all got a different pattern and colour. And if you were to put a little 
tea light, a candle behind that lampshade, it would illuminate the pattern and it would shine out to a certain degree. If you were to put a 250 watt bulb behind the same lampshade, it would illuminate the lampshade and, it, the, the, and the light would fill the room or the stage or the screen. And so what is the light? What is the lampshade? So the lampshade is the individual or the character. And the light itself, or really more specifically, the electricity itself, is the consciousness that's behind it. And by consciousness, I mean the intelligent life force that, you know, is the life of everything. That's what I mean by consciousness. Consciousness is often used to mean the totality of the mind, but I don't, I don't use consciousness in that way. I mean consciousness as, you know, the intelligent life force that animates matter and is life itself running, running through all of us. And so the work of the spiritual work, if you like, for, for, the, for, in the, for the actors I train, that the spiritual purpose is to increase the light of consciousness and then show them how to make the lampshade. So the character is the lampshade and they're all different, but it's the same consciousness of the being of the actor that shines through it. And there are, fortunately, there are ways and means of uplifting that level of consciousness within the individual. Through meditation. Um, through the meditation, through meditation and certain simple practices, you know, it brightens up the inner being. There's more light. There's more knowledge available to you. Mm. Mm. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure we didn't do any meditation at drama school. Um, uh, did Sam Kogan use meditation in his process? No, I know we've spoken about right. the differences before, but... When I first heard yes. about the spiritual psychology of acting, I did think mm, yeah. that's really not for me because I didn't really know how that linked with acting. And then when I did a bit of research, Sam Cogan called his process the science of acting, which also made me think, what's that got to do with acting? Yeah. But uh, how much of his training has influenced the spiritual psychology of acting and was the spiritual element totally missing from his process yes that was missing he did he did introduce meditation but now i know that he hadn't learned it properly and he shouldn't have been given the meditation that he was giving and he was giving people the wrong mantra uh, and um yeah that, that it wasn't done properly and he didn't really understand meditation um, but the, the, the science of acting, I think that's, that, that's a bit of a stretch in my experience. And I was very close to him for a number of years. My, and I saw very up close what was going on there. My experience was that it was more, you would say it was the, um, unproven hypotheses of acting maybe, or actually the disproved hypotheses of acting because it didn't really work. So, but, and the framework of it is really the same as the framework of the system of Stanislavski. It uses the same elements, attention, imagination, programming purposes and actions and, and awareness and all, uh, all these kind of things. And um, it, they, they were the elements of it. And that's all very good. So what I decided to do was not, not throw the baby out with the bathwater to keep the sort of systematic approach and much of it is brilliant, but just to how do you make it work and how do you get the actor just to be free and stop being self-conscious? How do you get them to switch from the conscious technique into the subconscious creativity and let the magic happen? That's what I thought was missing there. And that, you know, you get the, the Zen teaching from Japan, which is, you know, they say that the, that the purpose of, of Zen is to align your rhythm with the rhythm of the universe. So to come into accord with the natural rhythm of the universe. To, and that sense of just feeling the natural rhythm of the situation and just being present, that's very much what an actor has to do. It's very much like a zen of acting that you, lift, that you create the character and you create the character's thoughts and the character's past in your imagination then you just come into the present and listen and be present and allow what happens to you come from the person you're acting with. So it's spontaneous every night. It's a reaction, but it takes some courage 
to let go of the brakes. You know, a bit like when you're a kid and you're, you're, you're going down the steep hill and you put, keep putting the brakes on because you're scared of going too fast. As an actor, you have to learn to, you know, take your hands off the handlebars, close your eyes and just let go, let go, you know? And that's where the magic happens. Mm. I wonder why Stanislavski hadn't introduced spiritual elements into his system. He was never quite happy with his work, really, was he? He kept on changing his mind all the way through his professional career. Uh, and even at the end, he said, we've made deep inroads into understanding a you know systematic process for actors, but we're not there yet. You know, there's further to go. We haven't cracked it. Um, interesting, though, with the spiritual part, the whole of the system of Stanislavski was born of him reading a book about Hatha Yoga. Hatha Yoga is postures and breathing exercises. And it was written by, I can't remember who the author was, but he was actually an American using like a, uh, a Hindu pundit's name, but he was actually an American guy who wrote it. And it was like an introduction to sort of yoga. And that apparently was the initial um, inspiration of Stanislavski was this book. There's an interesting book called Stanislavski and Yoga. And uh, explain the very early roots of the system of Stanislavski. And so, but in those days, he didn't ha have contact with any sort of fully enlightened or realized, you know, they didn't really understand it. It was a lot of hearsay. And luckily, through this sort of system of philosophy, I've learned, they very much have connection with sort of realized people in India and they go and take instruction from them and take guidance from them. So it's a lot more firsthand, but it, it just simply wasn't available to Stanislavski in those days. You know, the, the knowledge of the Himalayas wasn't available on the plains of Europe like it is now, you know, like anyone can go to yoga class or. Um, so that I was I was quite startled to find out that actually it's gone full circle with the spiritual psychology of acting. We've got back to what Stanislavski was originally aiming. Mm. He was interested in a, a ray emission and ray absorption. And, send, and this is where people start thinking he, he's losing the plot a bit now. They didn't know what he was talking about. But actually, he, he, you know, it was actions. It was sending energy. Uh, you know, when you have an action, it sends out an energy in that direction. And I think that's what he was hitting on, but it was never fully understood. I mean, Sam Kogan told us that he could obviously speak Russian. And he told us that, that Stanislavski wrote 12 volumes of which they've been um, misinvented, misedited and mistranslated into English into four volumes, which we know as uh, My Life in Art, an actor prepares creating a character and building a character and creating a role. But actually, there are originally 12 books. And apparently, if you read them in Russian, they don't make sense. It doesn't add up. So even if it doesn't make sense as it was written, first written, how the hell is a mistranslated, misedited version of it going to going to, to meet us? So the whole thing had to sort of, you know, there was an aura of slight dubiousness about the Stanislavski system that it wasn't really completed. When did the spiritual element of your teachings um, cement itself? Was there a moment that made it, you know, click? There was. There was. Uh, I heard a lecture, and in the lecture there was a um, a question and answer put to this realised man in India. Shri, his name was Sri Shantananda Saraswati. He was the was known as the Shankaracharya of Northern India, um, and he holds audiences. Well, he doesn't teach. He just answers questions. You can have, go and have an audience with him, and you can ask him whatever you like. And he's just basically like a fountain of knowledge, you know. And he says at the beginning, he says he has no idea what he's going to say or be asked at the beginning of the meeting. And he's got no idea what he said at the end of the meeting. So it's just it comes out. There it is. And one of the questions that he was asked was how to raise the level of consciousness in the world. And uh, in the in, you know, in the in society and in the world in general, how do you go about raising the level of consciousness? Because that's obviously the need, you know, that, you know, the human race has got problems and the human race can't fix the problems with the level of consciousness 
uh, that they created the problems with. So it needs to shift to a high level of consciousness. So I thought that was a really good question. And what he said was, he said, um, in order to uplift the level of consciousness in yourself or in the world in general, one has first to uplift oneself. And this is acquired through having a system of true knowledge, proper practice of meditation, and a spirit of devoted service. So there was three things. Knowledge, knowledge of the self, of spirit, of consciousness, and how it operates, combined with a practice of meditation, because that sort of dissolves the impurities and trains the mind to be in the present, and then a spirit of devoted service. And it struck me when the actor goes on stage, they're in service to something. Very often it's their own ego and that the applause that they, they want or, you know, that they, they want to be admired, they want to be liked or they want to win an award or they want uh, a casting director to offer them their next job. Um, so it's in service to that. But what if it was actually in service to the audience or even better, in service to consciousness itself, who the audience represent? Now, how do you serve the audience? You create a character. You create a living, breathing character. Then the story is told. People often say, you know, there's a cliche, my, my, my daughter goes to the Brit school. She's on the drama strain there. And she comes home and she says that my teacher says that the, the purpose of an actor is to tell a story. And I said, well, you can tell your teacher that it, that is not the purpose of an actor. That's the purpose of a director or a playwright. The purpose of an actor is to, tell, is to create a character. And if you create a character and everybody creates a character, then the story will be told. So I sort of figured from that, you know, and then, so he talked about that in this thing, he talked about how to raise the level of consciousness in a general sense. And then he said, the actor on the stage, and at this point, I'm like, hold on, it's talking about me. It's talking about actor, talking about us. See, out of all these examples he could use, he used the actor of how to raise level of consciousness. And he said, the actor on the stage uh, is a very special person in terms that he's already understood um, refined emotion and superior speech and wisdom, or should have done if he had the right training, before he appears. And he can portray those refined emotions with exceptional economy and that the audience go through rapture just through seeing and hearing the actor, a great actor. He said then that ordinary people who come to fill the theatre may not have any clue as to the finer levels of conscious activity, but once they see and hear, they do understand, and this raises their level of consciousness. They can do what the actor has shown them. So for me, that was like the birth of the spiritual psychology of acting. It's like, yes, that's the bit we're missing. It's that flow. It's that brightness that, that they can get from the spiritual work, which complements the sort of practical psychology of, you know, the acting system really well. And I found if you give actors meditation, a lot of their sort of neurotic impulse, they need to prove themselves and justify their existence and be liked and that, you know, their desire to survive and get the next job and all their, their fear and panic and self-consciousness just naturally drops away with the meditation. And so you start them with the meditation, then you get them doing some acting exercise. And so the improvement is quicker because of the meditation, yeah. because the meditation teaches them to relax and come into the present. And it also trains their attention. Mm. Mm. which is what it's all about. It's rich, really, to be the character, you have to think the character's thoughts. That's no mean feat because you've got your own thoughts getting in the way, your own desires to be liked and do it right, and your own thoughts about my performance and all, all this stuff. But the discipline to be able to just think the character's thoughts, that's, you know, that's some mind training that's, that's needed for that. So giving them meditation helps them to train their attention so they can put their attention on what they want when they want it. And that, that state of being is freedom. More from John in a moment. Sit down, relax, and listen to Brewing Actors Podcast with a cup of Coal Town Coffee. Coal Town Coffee is roasted on-site at our HQ and Roastery in Ammonford, South Wales. Our coffee is sustainable and ethically sourced. 
and we believe the fairer the deal between producer and farmer, the higher the quality and taste of the coffee in your cup. Use the code BREWINGACTERS10 to receive 10% off your orders at coaltowncoffee.co.uk. I'm Adam Robert Lewis, and you're listening to the Brewing Actors Podcast. I continue my conversation with John Osborne Hughes. Obviously, I've started the course and uh, I initially did the introduction seminar. And actually, before we continue, I should say um, that there is another taster seminar uh, on Tuesday, the 1st of February, for any listeners who want to understand more about John's unique fusion of the teachings of the great Russian directors and the psychological and spiritual philosophy from both East and West. Um I would highly recommend it. It's only £25 and uh, it gives you a good overall um, feel of what the course will cover in the following few weeks. And um, I did the introduction session and I must admit, when meditation came up, I was initially a little resistant. Um, But that first session, I'll be really honest with you, I'm someone who... I think suffers from I know what people would call a negative head. And in the session when you said that you can choose to indulge these thoughts or not and uh, I thought <laughs> you know surely it can't be that easy. But you know you said about the meditation and put the focus in front of you and doing that meditation for the entire weekend my mind was absolutely silent. I didn't have any, you know, you're this, you're that, nothing. And it was such a relief. I mean, it didn't stay that way. It slowly, you know, crept in. But that initial weekend had such a huge impact on me. Um, you know, and I think physically, some of the thoughts that I have can be quite crippling. You know, you're just about to go on stage and these thoughts pop in and you feel as if you have no control over them. Um so it was really interesting to kind of experience and go through that meditation in the initial session um, because it's really what what I thought was going to be the sticking point for me actually became the reason well, why I continued with the course. Well, what I was going to say was this: like this evening, I was teaching a class this evening, one of what, your group actually, that uh, one of my online groups, and. Um, we're getting towards the end of term, so we did something slightly different. We deviated from what, what 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 we've been working on recently, and I just got them to get the line, the opening of Henry V, "Oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention," and then go, okay, so what do these words mean? So, as they know, the the meaning of the words are the mental pictures and impressions that are behind the words. So I say, so when you say a muse of fire, what does that mean? And they go, well, what she looked like, she's a woman and she's, what colour hair she got? And what do her lips look like? What colour are her eyes? Do her eyes shine? Uh, does she smile? What happens if she winks at you? Can she dance? Is she fiery? Put some fire. When she turns, put some fire. And start to get detail. So then, And then I get into just say slowly, oh, for a muse of fire. And just see the picture and say it. And the picture shapes how to say it if they just let go. That would ascend the brightest heaven of invention. I go, well, what does your bright heaven of invention look at it? What does it look like? Oh, yeah, there's there's uh, stars. Are they shooting? So animate the picture. Are they are they shooting? Can you see the depths of the heavens? Are there colours? This is like the Hubble Space Telescope or something. Yeah, it's like that. There's some rainbows in there. There's like, okay. So now they just say it slowly. Oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention. And they see the pictures. That's the conscious technique. Then I go, okay, right, off we go. And then they turn around. The whole class is watching them. They turn around. I say, right, take a deep breath. Just let everything go. Come back to the present. Come back to yourself. And action. And they have to just turn around and just do it. So they've done the preparation. They have to just let go, let flow and let it happen and get out of their own way. And what you find is they need a few goes to do that because whatever they're 
stuff is as an actor and every actor has what I call an acting complex which is basically the bag of tricks that they've collected over the years to look like an effective actor you know the tricks and shows and looking intense and being a dreamy actor and all this kind of thing we got we had that tonight we had one sort of a dreamy I do she did dreamy acting it was like an indulgence and then we had another guy he wanted to look intense because uh, he'd learned that that was, you know, but over a muse of fire that would ascend the bright. Where's the intensity of that? That's quite joyful and light and bright. Not there's not, you know, heavy actor. So then you begin to I begin to point that out and show them, you know, what 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 that wasn't the line. You've given us something else. Where does that come from? It comes from their own subconscious. So then they can look at what are the they start to understand what the subconscious ideas that they hold usually about themselves and they're things like i'm not good enough you know and it's often uh, these kind of things that then when they go to do it these thoughts that are left unfinished in the back of their mind come into their thinking as doubt and kill the spontaneity and make it self-conscious so you need to do it for a few times and you find whatever stops them from saying that one line is what's holding them back as an actor and you can see it all in that little moment as they turn around to do it. It's all there. And you, my job is to get in there and show them what's going on so they can resolve it. And then I get them to do it again. And the difference, you know, one, one girl, she was doing it this evening and um, she, there was like a forcing. Like every time she did it, there was like this pushing. And what's all that about? And we looked at what are the purposes behind that. So the purpose is she wants to succeed. Hmm. Right, okay. So why does she want to succeed? What's behind that? Actually, she wants to be admired. She wants to, she realized that it's, she wants admiration and she wants to succeed as an actor because then she'll be admired. And it's like, okay. And with that, she has the thought, life is short. I've only got so many years to achieve this. So what she does, because of this is unresolved thinking in the back of her mind, everything she does as an actor is slightly forced. So then I was able to address this with her and talk through it. She said, well, that's exactly right. I do think life is short and this is my life you're describing here. This is, you know, anyone who knows me would say you're absolutely right. This is the, the thing. And it, it creates a sort of agitation. And then get her to relax. I gave her to just to remember that, you know, don't worry, don't hurry and don't forget to smell the flowers as an antidote to her, you know, this, this kind of busy forcing and just seeing her, you know, just all that noise settle down and then her just turn around and do it. And it was so beautiful. It was like the light in her, her own loveliness shone, which was all covered up by this whole succeed and prove something you know, I think very often actors as well, they've got a thing of they think they need to justify their existence. If you say to an actor, or, you know, you say to someone, oh, what do you do for a living? And they say, I'm an actor. Then the inevitable next question is, oh, so what you've been in then? And then, then, you know, the actor starts to squirm because, you know, they've done some things, but they might not be recognised as, oh, I've never heard of it or whatever, you know, like that. And they're, and they're cringing. Uh, inside and they've somehow got this idea that they have to justify their whole life to some bloke standing at the bar in a pub and it's like no you don't have to justify your existence to anybody so I give them a little mantra which is I have nothing to prove to anyone least of all myself and of course what other people think of me is none of my business Mm. And that seems to cut off the attachment mm. to the audience and the audience's thoughts so they can just create the character and speak the lines with the thoughts, you know? Yeah. The course is so pragmatic, you know, it's almost like the common sense of acting. And the spiritual element for me has a huge impact on your life. It improves your life, the way you live your life, I, I've, I have found. Um, you know, I've read so many books on acting, but I have to admit, you know, leaving drama school, I still felt as if I was winging it and was looking for, I suppose, for you, a process that I could understand in a way that was not alien to me. And actually, by understanding yourself and understanding your thoughts, 
you know, and, and not allowing your thoughts to rule you is so freeing for an actor, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, what the biggest obstacle to good acting is the actor's own baggage, is the actor's own need to be adored, is the actor's own, you know, need to be compared or to be famous or be liked or get away with it or justify their existence or win the sibling life competition with their lawyer brother or do you know what I mean? There's all these other drives that the actor's got. And so very much part of the training is, is to give them little exercises and homeworks to, to acknowledge what these things are so that they can get them out of the way and they can just act for the pure purpose of love and enjoyment. And That's service, isn't yeah. the service is, it, it serve it, to serve. It's and yeah. if there's service, there's love. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, service without love is servitude. We're not talking about servitude. It's not, we're not, you're not a butler uh, or working in the kitchen. It's service, you know, it's, it's service, it's real service. Uh, and you do it by by being good at your job and creating the inner life of the character and allowing it to manifest itself through your voice and body in front of an audience. That's the skill of an actor without your own thinking getting in the way. Mm, mm. For somebody listening to this podcast who thinks, you know, they really want to demystify the elements of great acting and uh, maybe actors who want to polish up their process, what would your elevator pitch be? for the uh, training? I would say that the, the spiritual, that I call this the spiritual psychology of acting, but actually it's, it's not a method like something like uh, Lee Strasberg or teachings. They call that a method and there's a lot of artificial means. There's a lot of things like substitution and things you find in that. Uh, and there's very little actual character creation in my experience of those things anyway. Um, whereas I say, I would say that really this is pure acting um, or the common sense of acting or just acting. In other words, all the, the spiritual psychology of acting is, is looking at what are the laws of psychology which created our own character? the laws of cause and effect, because this happened in the past, I want this in the future, etc. and how that process shapes us. And it's really understanding that process. And then, um, so it's not an ism. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's, it is acting. It's, you know, it literally, how do you recreate um, real circumstances in, in an artificial environment, in a theatre? That's, you know, that's, that is, a, that is, and there's an art to that and there is knowledge of how to do that. Like there should be with any profession, there's a body of knowledge of how to do it. So it's, um, it's nothing artificial. It's what are the laws that nature uses to create our own characters? Let's use the same process that nature used to create our own characters. And then the characters that we create for the stage and the screen won't be the kind of, you know, cliches we so often see. They'll be living, breathing characters that we can relate to. And I, one of the qualities that I, you know, I find I really love when I see in an actor is they kind of ooze humanity. There's this kind of energy, it's consciousness really, that, that comes off of them. And it's something of the human spirit. And when an actor is in touch in that, with that in themselves, you know, they've given up the artificiality and trying to prove themselves and all that, and they come to rest in themselves, then the, the acting becomes sort of very neat and expedient. There's nothing extraneous. And really, we don't want it. Usually when you go to the theatre, particularly in the theatre, you see two. You see the actor, you see the character, and you see the actor as well. Do you see what I mean? Because the actor's got their desires. In great acting, you only see the character. You don't see the actor. Ju it's just the character that's there. Then we do what, we, what I believe to be one of the sort of main functions of art is to hold a mirror up to nature, as Shakespeare put it. You know, reflect back at the audience how we live so they can see themselves and then they can learn and they can learn from the mistakes of the character or from the glories of the character, you know, that they can learn something, but that is only transmitted if the actors, if it's if it has a reality about it. 
of course, the 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 theatre is a you know a kind of hyper reality. It isn't just reality itself. You know, art is is, is life that's been rearranged and designed and selected to uplift, purify, entertain, educate. So it is heightened, it's edited bits of life, but it has to have that truthfulness. Do, do you think an audience knows when somebody is faking it? Or yes. when they don't believe them? Do you think, is it is that from a, a natural position where they know how those feelings are? They know that they've experienced, yeah. usually experienced some, something like that themselves? Yes, because every thought that we have is actually transmitted. So if you imagine like, you know, everyone's like a Teletubby, we've all got these aerials on our heads and we're transmitting the thoughts. So you feel the thoughts. If an actor on the stage, you know, is genuinely pitying himself, that will, you know, through his sort of transmitter, that that feeling, that self-pity or that, you know, the crying, whatever, will fill the audience. It, it's it's transmitted um so it's uh uh yeah it's it's again it's a question of getting out of the way and letting that happen and brightening up your inner being you know because then that's that's the essence of it is the light then the character is the lampshade so the the psychology of acting is the art and craft of how you make the lampshades and the spiritual part is how do you increase the presence and the level of consciousness within the, the being so that those works shine. And that's what we call charisma or stage presence, I think. I just wanted to touch briefly on method acting. You know, it's been in the press a lot lately with Jeremy Strong in Succession and Lady Gaga uh, in House of Gucci, who supposedly stayed in character throughout the entire filming. Um and you know Jeremy Strong I I have I have seen his performance in Succession and it is incredible um but people have been saying that on set you can't call cut or action he truly believes that he is that character for this you know duration that he's playing him um and I was just wondering is that m- approach sustainable and also you know have we glorified it over the years you know Oscars have been won on method acting or roles that have been done using the method, I suppose. Uh, I think there's partly actors. I mean, I don't know. I don't know for sure with Lady Gaga or this this, this other actor you're talking about, uh, because I I don't know them. But what I do find is very often those things are, they make great stories because we're talking about it now. So it's a great thing. It creates intrigue in the thing. And it also says, I'm a great actor. Isn't it? I'm a great actor because I'm, I'm doing all things. But really, acting is a profession. And you, you, you have to know when to turn it on and off. You know, you're not the character. You're, you're, the, you're yourself. Playing the character means, what does that mean? It means thinking the character's thoughts. You know, what is your character? It's the light of consciousness, really. That's what your being is, with Adam thoughts. What is John? It's the light of consciousness with John thoughts. What is Hamlet? It's the same light of consciousness, but with Hamlet thoughts. So you don't have to, li- you don't have to do it all the time. You just have to know how to do it when the director says action. There's a way of preparing, but I think very often that, that there's, there's another purpose behind that. Like I want to be held in awe. I want to be admired. It, it, it's a great story seller, and I think it's totally unnecessary. Um, acting shouldn't be about suffering. You know, the character might suffer, but the actor isn't suffering. Art isn't there for, to make us suffer. Art is essentially there for, for you know for joy and enlightenment. Is the is the higher purpose of art. So the, the actors themselves shouldn't suffer. So if they're doing stuff that make themselves suffer, it's probably not healthy. But, you know, it sells papers. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, you're right. You know, I, I've always wondered about Brando and De Niro, you know, maybe. But you are right. You know, the publicity around it is huge. You know, and I, and I still remember that, you know, the famous story of Dustin Hoffman and Laurence Olivier uh, starring in Marathon Man 
and in the script, I think the character that Hoffman played had to be, you know, hadn't eaten in five days and hadn't slept, and obviously stayed up for five days and hadn't eaten for five days and turned up to the set looking terrible. And Laurence Olivier said, why didn't you try acting, dear boy? And, you know, that story has gone around for so many years now and has kind of been the story that, I don't know, compares American acting to British acting, I suppose. Um, Yeah. And and somewhere in between them is good acting. You know, but you know, I, th- I think that uh, I, I'm probably going to get hate mail for this, but I, 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 you know, I look at Laurence Olivier and I just I see a bit of a show off, to be honest with you. I think it's quite affected acting. I think he he does a lot of extraneous stuff that is just creating outer events to hold the audience's attention. And he's very good at it, but it lacks in a content. He does a good show. He does a good performance and it flows and it's, you know, it's bold and alive. But in terms of the inner feeling, there's a lot of showing. And dare I say it, I even, I went to, and I, you know, during my training, we spent time in Russia at the Moscow Institute of Theatre Arts. We went to the Stanislavski Museum and down in the basement, there's a whole gallery of photos, Stanislavski's house where all the workshops used to take place and the theatre's still there and you can still see it all. And um, we went downstairs and there was like a gallery of pictures of Stanislavski acting. And I'm standing next to Sam Kogan going, he's showing in every single photo. He's absolutely mugging it. There's no reality in this at all. It's really almost like pantomime. You, know, you could see it. It was just, it was had a lot of what we call passive imagination. That's when the actor thinks about how they look. Active imagination is where they're thinking the character's thoughts actively and passive imagination is where they're kind of looking at themselves from outside. And that's what the audience can always see that. Do you see what I mean? They might not understand it, why it is, what the processes are, are, but when the acting's good, well, when when is good acting good? It's when it's unnoticed. You just see the character. Do you see what I mean? The story is just told. Nothing bothers you. Nothing gets in the way. Bad acting is the one that get that bothers you. Yeah, true. Who would you say for somebody listening are actors working today that they should maybe watch? Um, in your opinion, that are kind of hitting those notes. Uh, I really like Riz Ahmed as an actor. I don't like all the films he does, but I like his work. And I really like. Oh, we were chatting about him the other day. We uh, yeah. Talking about- um, uh, yeah, I've forgotten. <laughs> Javier? Javier Bardem. Yeah. Javier Bardem. That's the guy. I, I, I think he has. A, I mean, I listened to an interview he did, Sam Jones, yeah. on, uh, you know, talking to actors. And it was like, is he done the spiritual psychology of Everything he was coming out with, it was, you know, and he just his genuine love of the art and craft of acting and his genuine humility. You know, you hear some actors and they've got this kind of pseudo egotistic humility to cover up their massive ego, but it's just another part of their ego. He doesn't, he didn't have that at all. It's just totally, totally shared. And then you watch his work and he just exudes the character. I like, I like him very much. Uh, I also surprising one is one, one act, one of my favorite actors is Richard Briers. And, um, because purely because he had that real warmth he had that real human quality that shone through everything that he did there's a real like you you knew him you know there was a sense that you knew him because you know yourself and i think actors that hold that universal quality you know that's that's the real great to have that but to have that universal quality you've got to connect with that which is universal within you mm-hmm. If you could go back to your younger self, uh, what bit of advice would you give him? Um, fuck the naysayers. <laughs> 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 yeah, fuck them. Fuck the naysayers. Uh, you're going to have, if you tr- want to do something that other people don't do that's outside the comfort zone, people, if they think that they're not fulfilling their potential. They don't want to see you fulfill your potential. So they're always telling you that it's impossible for you and be very suspicious of anyone who tells you what's impossible for you. 
And, um, you, you know, I, I happen to believe in reincarnation, but if there wasn't reincarnation uh, and this is your only life, well, you might as well go for it. You know, this isn't a dress rehearsal, as I say, this is it. So if you want to be an actor, be an actor. But you'd be surprised how many actors, you know, or student actors, and they say they want to be an actor, but they don't actually have the thoughts. They don't have the real desire in mental pictures of what does it mean to be an actor? Do you see what I mean? So it's just words. So dare to dream. And if you, you know, you do it and go for it. Why not? You know, the worst thing that will happen is you don't succeed it. You don't succeed, but at least you'll have had a life. You know, what would you rather have, a life or a living? I know what I'd rather have is a life. I, you know, lots of people have got a living, but they don't have a life. And if I had to sacrifice one for the other, I'd rather have a life than a living. But it is quite possible that you can have both a life and a living. But I put the life first. And if acting's your love, then go for it. And also, um, don't wait on everybody else. Have something else, something that you're preparing yourself a play you're rehearsing with a friend, you're going to put on a two-hander, a one-man show, a short film script that you're developing for a nice part for yourself or you're collaborating with someone. Have some projects of your own all the time that you're working on so you're not as attached when you get an audition to get in the job because you're keeping inspired and you're keeping up the work and you're keeping up the practice. And do a class. You know, so many actors, they think they go to drama school for three years and they think that's it. We've got it now. I've done my bit. I've done my training. But, you know, in America, I've taught a lot in America. And the attitude there is really different. That acting training is something you do throughout your life. Um, so I would say keep up, you know, find a good teacher and, um, and do a class and get your muscles growing and strong. And then, you know, auditioning becomes second nature. My students tell me now that, that now they're learning the techniques and how it works they just said there's so much more joy in the whole self-taping process because they know they, they've got a frame of reference of how to do it properly now so you know learn your job um and uh if you become successful don't believe the hype because you'll lose yourself in your ego and that's the you know again you that's a waste of your life isn't it Thanks to my guest, John Osborne-Hughes, and thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about John's work, then please visit thespiritualpsychologyofacting.com. Until next time, I'm Adam Robert Lewis, and you've been listening to the Brewing Actors Podcast.